This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Do you know who this is? You no. Know, you know who this is? No. That's, um, that's Vaughn, King Vaughn and Lil Durk, Story to Tell. Nice, from Chicago. Yes, yes, yes. One of them actually just got indicted for attempted murder. Which um, one? It wasn't King Vaughn. Lil Durk. It's so funny. I had asked my 17-year-old sister who's the, like the top five best rappers out, and mm-hmm. she said Lil Durk. Oh, Lil Durk might be. Is that little, true? I'm, no. Um, he can rap. I'll give him that. He can rap. So we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 8.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. What's going on, guys? Happy Sunday. It's Stanley Fritz. I'm all up in your camera today. You, you can really barely are. see Selena's face. <laughs> I mean, that's not a bad thing. I'm beautiful, aren't I? No? Okay, I understand. But anyways, guys, we are here for another action-packed show. And, of course, in the studio with me today is me, Stanley <laughs> Fritz. You can follow me on the Twitter at Stan Fritz, on the Instagram at Stan Fritz, on the Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle, and, of course... I'm here with Selena Hill. Selena, who are you? Hey, guys. It's me, Selena. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Follow me at Miss Selena Hill. Very happy to be here. Happy Sunday, guys. Of course, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we talk politics, pop culture, Beyonce, a little trap music, and all things in between every Sunday right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Shout out to everyone who is watching us via Facebook Live as Stanley fumbles with the camera. We'll get it right. As well as those watching via Instagram Live. So we have a great show lined up today. We're going to be talking about why the rent is so damn high. And we're going to be talking about a piece of legislation that Stanley actually played a major role in passing to keep rents controlled. So guys, you can thank Stanley because your rent is going to not go as high as it would if it wasn't for Stanley. Don't, don't, don't. that's That's not exactly true. Don't thank me. There's a lot of people who did that. And this covers um, the two million or so people in New York State who live in rent-controlled or rent-stabilized buildings. So a lot of people are going to be good. Yes. And also, we have other things we're going to talk about, of course. Everything going on with Donald Trump. Anthony Davis went to the freaking Lakers. Why did he do that? Because he he, he didn't choose. I mean, he did want to go there, but he got traded. Yeah, so we'll talk about that. We know the Raptors have won the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. Drake is happy. I don't know if Stanley is. I don't care. I'm a Nick fan. Drake put out two songs, and in one of the songs, he dis pushed a T. Oh, again? Yeah, don't worry. I'll play. Oh, by the way, guys, our intern Sydney's in here, and she rolled her eyes aggressively. Yo, Sydney, I'm feeling the 1994, like, bang Mary J. Blige haircut right here. That's lit. It's a good thing. (laughs) She was like, is that shade or a compliment? No, that was definitely a compliment. That was... That was, oh, ooh, that is a young Halle Berry. Okay, young Baps. Okay, I see you out here. <laughs> Definitely, guys. And, of course, if you want to let your voice be heard, hit us up on Facebook. We are live on Facebook.com slash let your voice be heard. So leave your comments there. You can also call us up at 212-650-6903. Again, that is 212 212- Six five zero six nine zero three. Thank you, Stanley, for putting the camera right on Facebook. We were upside down for a few minutes. Bear with us, guys. Um, yeah, we have a great, great show lined up, and we also have a very special guest 
who's coming in studio with us. Nat, what? Alex is actually here. What? Okay. Sorry, guys. We're happy. We're not telling Hennessy in the studio today. I don't know what this man is doing. Harlem's very own Alex from the 212 has just popped in the building with all the energy. Okay. Okay. We're we going to get it right. We're going to take a quick break. This and we're going to come back. Like and we're going to... You did come in like that. You did come in. All right, guys. Again, this is Let Your Voice Be Heard. We will be right back. Look at that. And we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHC, all the voice of Harlem. This should be called the episode with the shaky camera. My name is Stanley Fritz. I'm here on the PC ones and twos. I'm also here with Selena Hill with the curly hair flex. Selena, I like you with the curly hair. You should do it like that more often. I know. You don't like it like that. You want to get it perned. We know what it is. No, no. This is intentional. Oh, it's intentional? Yes. Thank you. you. Usually when Selena comes in here with the curly hair and you compliment her, she's like, she's like I don't know, guys. Awkward. But of course, we also have entering into the ring coming from the mean streets of Harlem when it was still the mean streets of Harlem and not just the white streets of central Harlem. We have Alex Turner. Alex, tell the people who you are. What's going on, y'all? And speak and make sure we get his mic on. Thank you. There you go. (laughs) What's going on, y'all? What's going on, y'all? Good morning. Happy Sunday. Happy Father's Day. Oh, it is. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Nobody knows Daddy's Day. (laughs) Still he knew. Nobody care about Father's Day, man. I ain't got no kids. You got kids? Hell no. All right, ain't no daddies in here. Listen, well, <laughs> let me just give Alex a proper introduction. He is Harlem's finest comedian, Whoop. Whoop. commentator, and podcaster. Boyaka. We, we, I, I don't think we can say the name of his podcast on our show because of FCC rules. Two chicks, one human being. It's called Two Chicks and One D. Yeah. One something. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes, and it's pretty cool. It's pretty lively. So uh, speaking of that, um, guys, so we have a great show lined up. Um, I want to kick things off with the news roundup. Let's talk about some of the news stories that made us extremely upset, happy, sad, or a mix of feelings, or possibly got Stanley suspended from Facebook again. I have not been suspended in three weeks. Thank you very much. Congratulations. What, you you having a to file an appeal to get back on? Yo, I got suspended for 30 days, like last month. What yeah. did you do? I don't remember. He, but you know Stanley oh, yeah. gets yeah, yeah, yeah. I know and his feelings off. and you know he be going off on Facebook most of the time when I get suspended I'm not in my feelings actually I'm in a good mood and I'll put something I'm not thinking about it and Facebook will be like dog and they do it fast too like it's not like before when I used to get suspended it would take a day or two and I don't have to figure out what post it was now as soon as I press publish Facebook just pops up like <laughs> come on <laughs> it's over yeah. it's over for you they got you. Stanley Page tagged as a hate group now Yo. seriously <laughs> and then and then Sydney made me paranoid this week. I was in Albany, and I, I forgot. I was in the meeting, and my phone buzzed, and I look, and it said, is Stanley's Facebook page suspended again? And I was like, what? So then I went and put up a post. I was like, what's everyone doing this weekend to see if it would publish? But then because I did that, mad people made me want to wanted to hang out with me, so I had to do stuff on Saturday. <laughs> so thanks a lot, Sydney. I wanted to stay in the house and watch One Punch Man. Oh, but you are so popular. And everyone I just wanna, loves you, Stanley. No, don't do campaign work. I don't want to door knock. I want to spend my Saturday off. But anyways, guys. I want to talk about news. Toronto Raptors won the NBA championship. They beat the light-skinned regime. The dark skins are back in power. But more importantly, Drake put out two songs. Two new songs, one with Rick Ross. And the other, I was just playing on our break. And if you're listening on podcasts, I'll put the link to the song in the show notes for you. 
because he apparently disses Pusha T and this new song. Mm. But hold on, aren't they always going back and forth? N- yeah, but then the last point they was at was Drake kind of decided no, I don't because think... of Jay Prince. Yeah. That he wasn't gonna respond to any of the things happening because it was starting to cross personal lines when uh Pusha T mentioned uh Drake's friend that has cancer, I believe it is. Um, forty. Forty. And I think he, he has, uh, he has um, um, multiple uh, multiple sclerosis. sclerosis. Yes. After that, they kind of said it was going to get physical, so they kind of put it on pause. Jay Prince was like, "Yo, don't respond. You don't got to do that." Mm-hmm. But it seemed like Drake took the cape off and said, "Started from the bottom. Now we here." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you receptive towards this? Um, I'm here for it. I love healthy hip hop beef. <laughs> Some of my favorite rap songs have been beef records. Mm. I mean, as long as it stays on wax, but it's almost like a, you know, like a flex competition. Like, yeah. let me see what I can do. Let me see what you can it, Yeah. It's going to bring the best out of both. It's like mm. when Mace and Jay-Z was beefing, and then Jay-Z, I mean, Mace went on that one twelve song that everybody talking platinum this, platinum that, platinum chips, you ain't got no platinum hits. And everybody's like, oh, that was hard, Mace. He was dissing Jay-Z. <laughs> like... Oh, I didn't beef expect so that great. beef reference right there. Yeah, when I know. Said, then he was like, I'm going to bring up the one nobody knows. <laughs> when he Listen. said Jay-Z, I thought he was going to go to Nas. He yeah. said that Mace. I said, I forgot about that. Listen, okay, man. I was trying to honor saying. you in Harlem. Nah, and, you, and I appreciate that. I'm a, I'm a hip-hop And I appreciate head, that. Listen, I, I, I love hip-hop, so I always got the stories in there. That's big facts. But yeah, man. Drake. Well, speaking what? of light skin and hip-hop, we know <laughs> that Chris Brown was being extra light-skinned this week. He's not hip-hop. He is definitely hip-hop. He is part of the culture. He's a Part Embrace of the this man and his petty. I wish he was only beating beats, but he's not. So I don't want to complain. Well, he's a like he's still a, a force. Just turn around. <laughs> um, she did. Well, Chris Brown, we know, has been extra petty. Apparently, he's expecting his second child, but he decided to go on his ex girlfriend's page, Karuchi, and, and violate her. As well as her new boyfriend, Victor Cruz, by saying that he's not stylish enough. And he was like, check your man, poo-poo, no shade. But he like he he doesn't know how to dress. Yo, Yo why was Chris feeling so sassy? Like, come on, dog. Nah, I mean, I, I, that's his ex. He still got feelings for It's been her. five years. It's like he brought it to fruition, this one Kanye line he did from a song with Big Sean. He said, young Walt Disney, I'm going to tell you truthfully. If you leave Mickey, you're going to end up with a goofy. Ooh. I imagine that's what Chris told Carucci. Oh! <laughs> Yo, and when he just said that, I'm like, damn. <laughs> it really did. Damn, but I, I, you know what now it is? Who the hip-hop references? Mm. I mean, okay. Yeah, you know, I got a little yeah. bit under the belt. Mm. Nah, but I mean, in, in terms of, I kind of feel where Chris is coming from. You know what I mean? A little bit. I ain't going to lie. From the from the inner insecure male, and you, you, you're not with you. You know what I mean? A little bit. For me, you gotta ignore whoever your ex is dating. But if you gonna take a look, he's a little salty. He's like his sauce package is not like mine. You know what I he mean? He don't got no drip. So and mind you, he not getting NFL money no more. He getting different type of money. But Chris, I, mean, I can imagine the lifestyles is probably pretty different. I mean, Victor still has money. He still has enough. He doesn't have Chris Brown bread, but But, he has enough to support Karuchi's lifestyle. I mean, he's got money. He before he was out, he signed like a forty million dollar contract with the Giants, then signed one for twenty million with the Bears, then had a whole bunch of endorsement deals. So he has money around. But forget all that. Chris Brown, Karuchi had a restraining order against him because he was following her, Mm -hmm. threatening to kill her, and telling her and popping up at places. When she didn't want him there. So he has some. So just because he's not physically putting his hands on people anymore. Actually, she said that he did hit her as well in that same police report. She was trying to get the. Yeah, like he's being menacing. 
this dude needs therapy and mm. maybe to not do so much cocaine. But let me not talk too much stuff because he can do a front flip standing up, which means if he wants to fight me, he will win and easily. We forgive a lot if you could do tricks. Like, <laughs> think yeah. about how much we let Mike slide with just because he could moonwalk. Like, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, because <laughs> crazy, it was proven the kid that those white boys lied. They, it can't, it can't find, they took the documentary off of HBO because apparently one of, they found out one of the white boys is lying. Didn't they go back and forth twice, though? Wade Robson? As Wade. far as saying it happened and then retracting well, it. And when, then they, when Mike was on, Michael Jackson was on trial, Wade testified in favor of Michael Jackson saying that he was not abused. And then we know he came out decades later saying that he was i didn't know that hbo took down um ne- what was it called neverland yeah neverland, the, the neverland. neverland. i didn't landed. know that wow that that says a lot but speaking of snitching yes. donald trump mm. so donald trump was on i forgot what news show he was on but he they was, said he did an interview with uh george stephanopoulos that's not stephanopoulos stephanopoulos <laughs> yo we got it <laughs> All right. If you want to call in the show, it's 212-650-6903. Again, that's 212-650-6903. On the George Stephanopoulos show, Selena, I they asked right. Don- All right. I mean, you know, I'm not going to yuck your yum. Um, they He said on the show that if during this election some foreign intelligence came and tried to interfere with the election in his favor, he wouldn't say anything unless that data was wrong. Well, what he said was, Steph was um, George was like, uh, would, right, you accept, uh-huh. would you accept Would you accept research or opposition data from a foreign government, or mm-hmm. would you tell the FBI? <laughs> Donald Trump says, I would do both. Matter of fact, I would take it. And then George was like, so you're inviting foreign intelligence to also like interfere in our election again? Mm-hmm. And he was like, look, if you were a politician and someone says, if Norway says, hey, I have some some data on your political opponent. You might want to take a you, look at it. You would take it. <laughs> so Donald Trump was like, he's like, that's not life. And then and then George goes back and, and back and says, well, the F, your FBI director, whom he appointed, says that, no, you're supposed to turn this information over to the FBI. And he was like, that's not life. The FBI director is wrong. And basically, so this just goes to show that not only is Don- did Donald Trump win the 2016 election because Russia interfered in the election, he's open and inviting towards any other foreign government, adversarial or not, to give him information that would help him win again in 2020. He does not care. And I just want to say this. There's no way to shame the shameless. He does not care. He is open, transparent about how dirty he is. And like, I mean, all of us on the on the on the Democratic side, we're trying to shame him and put him down you on CNN you know and crazy? MSNBC. Donald Trump, Donald Trump reminds me of when I was in my whole phase, which all I did was lift weights, drink Hennessy, and have a lot of consensual intercourse. And I remember one of the women I was dating who was a Republican, and I don't know. I mean, Sleeping I know I the enemy. I know I watched. It was fun, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, she one day she was like, "You're so disgusting. All you do is drink liquor and have sex." And I was like, "Correct." And and that's what Donald Trump is like because they're like, yo, you're grimy. And he's like, word, but I'm rich. <laughs> and we're like, this is unspeakable. And he's like, then stop speaking, beloved. He doesn't care. They're like, yo, like, they're like, yo, we found information that says that you stole money from a bunch of people. He's like, that's above me now. Oh, man. Like, he don't care. He got lawyer money to play by different rules. I, I really don't feel like it's just the rules that set up for everybody. Like, you hire people to make things go your way. 
That's literally how that goes. And you have to have enough money to do that. Yeah. Like, legit. He playing by different rules. Yeah. And, and the my thing is, rules. I mean, based on the strategy, um, will he win again in 2020? He might. I mean, it's it's very obvious now that he's going to do some shady stuff yeah. to still two terms to like steal the election. <laughs> I mean, we always knew that he was going to try and steal the election, but like now we know, no, yeah. Because like he's like, yeah, like what you thought this was. But listen, guys, he's like like you thought I wouldn't take that information. Yeah, he said, look, winners win. Okay, if there's, <laughs> if there's even a, if there's even a margin of error to think like if the election, if the 2020 election is close, Trump's got it. Because mm. they're going to finesse their way straight through it. Mm. There's no way they're going to let this go out and just let regular people win this again. They're not trying to do that. They're trying to hold their power for as long as they can. Yes, they so are. I'm, I'm not surprised by this. Trump is trash. But guess what? One of the things they don't tell you about Donald Trump is that he still has majority support from white voters. Oh, yes. Because white people are trash. <laughs> Facebook, you can't ban me. Well, when Stanley says white people are trash, what do you mean by that, Stanley? White people are trash. Well, All right, all right, all right, fine. That's not exactly what I mean, even though you are trash. What I mean is that white supremacy and the institution of whiteness is trash. And every time you stay silent and don't do anything about it, you become trash. And when you have family members who are trash and you don't do anything about it, you are trash. So, therefore, 2 plus 2 equals 22 white people are trash. Well, what about white allies? You got trash cousins, so you're trash by osmosis. No, 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 no. I'm playing. I'm being petty. I'm being petty. Not all white people are trash, obviously, but the po- the fact of the matter is that the system of white supremacy has created a space where white people have not had to be held accountable and can do really horrible things that hurt everyone else, and they're not thinking about it. So you got to go after your cousins, you got to go after your brothers and your mothers and your neighbors and do something about this. Because if it's up to just black folks and brown folks, we're going to be in a lot of trouble because they don't listen to us. They just point guns at us when we're holding our children like the police in Phoenix did to the mother who they said child stole a $1 doll from Dollar Tree. I'm really happy you brought up that, that story. Um, yeah, Stanley, so there were parents... In a car in Phoenix, like Stanley just said, um, there was a four-year-old girl, uh, a mother who was pregnant, and she also had, like, her infant child or, or like, a toddler with her. Mm-hmm. And there was police. There's footage of the police telling them to get out the car, threatening to kill this mother, being ex- super aggressive with the father of the children, um, roughing them up. And then finally, when this four-year-old little girl steps out the car, um, the cop had his his weapon still drawn but then he put it back in his holster and they still at one point even though they were all out and you could tell that the mother was pregnant she had like another child in her arm you could see a white cop trying to pull that child out of the mother's arms so now Crazy. we see that this footage has went viral that family is suing uh, Phoenix, I think for $10 million. Yeah, they're seeking $10 million from the city after the video showed. But you know what? One thing that really disturbed me, and I saw the video myself. Mm-hmm. I think Sean King and a number of other activists were posting it and sharing it on Instagram. And then I saw like some reports on mainstream media, the way they were reporting it. First of all, they only showed a clip after the the um the, the the children and the mother stepped out the car so you don't see the the aggressive language and the way he violated her just by talking to her like that. that or you what they did to that. the father of the kid right they well they showed that too they kicked him in the yeah 
Yeah. yeah. So, but I was just like, why is mainstream media like reporting it in because such a, like, people, a way like that? Because like white that. people. So you guys get mad at me when I say that white people are trash, but then they do stuff like this. You have to understand that this entire system is built off of white, racism and white supremacy. And if you start to poke holes in that, you undermine white people's power. They can't have that happen. So they have to build a narrative that shows it that the black person is a savage and the police are totally justified. Those same cops who did that are still on duty right now. So... What, what, what accountability is there, really? And we really got to talk about the fact that the policing industry is just another arm of the racist institution built at destabilizing and destroying black communities. Because even when they're the most egregious, they find a way to make it legitimate. You remember the rapper in California who was shot 55 times in his car while he was asleep? What he did in the investigation, they said the police were justified for, for shooting him 55 times while he was asleep. It's horrible, horrible. You can't be a black person in this world and be remotely aware and not be at the cusp of blatant rage at all times. You just possibly can't because everywhere you turn, there are examples of white people not seeing the humanity of black people and white people in the systems of white supremacy looking to crush black people. So, yeah, white people, you're trash. Sorry, Selena. Um, I know we have to go on break now. Uh, before we do, Alex, did you also see the shooting that happened? Well, did you hear about the shooting that happened in Memphis? There was a oh, they killed the, the teen. I heard he was trying to ram a car into the police and then they shot him. I, I always reserve until I get all the deeds, but I heard he was trying to ram a car into some people, to I, the I, police. I got some people out there. He wasn't, apparently. At all? They shot him 16 times and left him in the grass for dead. I thought he shot him five times. Nah, 16. Wow. U.S. Marshals came and shot him 16 times and left him there for dead. And then they called the um, Memphis police to take care of it. So, uh-huh. yeah, and, like, this is a day after um, uh, a decision came out saying that a cop was justified for shooting another unarmed black man Terrence in Memphis. Terrence Calton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in that community, my homegirl was telling me that community does not play. They were with it all. And they were because they were throwing rocks and bricks and all I sorts of stuff. I saw some of the, the footage police. of that. Injured 25 cops. I don't condone violence, but, you know, they're angry. <sighs> Yeah, the people. That's a slippery slope because that's we're not gonna win that battle fighting with the police. Like we already losing that battle. Us, yeah. us fighting back. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't. You're not with the rioting and all that. You know what it is, and especially you gotta look at where we typically riot. It's in our own community a lot of the time. You know, so we end up destroying yeah. a lot of. It's not like they go to a white neighborhood to riot, which I guess logic wise <laughs> would make sense. Like you want to mess stuff up, go over there to do it. But we kind of mess up our own communities. I mean, you know what I mean? We don't even have access to those white communities. And, I mean, violence is not the answer. Aggression breeds aggression. And as I say that, I'm going to honor you and your Harlemness with this Dipset song that's all about aggression. I love that. So we'll be back, guys. Just let your voice be heard. Oh, we're back. My landlord, my landlord, he cannot evict me. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHC, all the voice of Harlem. Are you excited? Yeah. I'm excited too, guys. So listen, my name is Stanley Fritz. I'm here with Selena Hill and, of course, Alex Turner of oh, Harlem oh, oh, oh. eating chicken on Malcolm X's birthday. Ooh. How dare you, Ken? <laughs> Wait, stop. Who taught you to hate yourself, Put Ken? down a lemon pepper wing, brother. Ew, and you got lemon pepper? You're supposed to get, like, jerk or hot. I, I got half lemon pepper and I got half of the, I think it's mango habanero. Mango Ooh. habanero, so you got the gentrified chicken the on Malcolm's birthday. I'm into spicy chicken. Mm. And you see this? Our youthful intern, Sydney, doesn't even know who Malcolm X is. Just kidding, she does. <laughs> if she didn't know, I mean. <laughs> my bad, my bad. What should I call you? What should be a nickname for our intern? You had one and then. I forgot what it was. Lit turn. Oh, I said that. That was hard. 
Oh, I don't like it no more. I don't like it no more. All right, guys. So if you're wondering what's going on, I, Stanley Fritz, am arguing with the lit turn. And she's in the studio with Alex Turner of Harlem and Selena Hill of Respectability Politics. Just kidding, Selena. Stanley Shaden. Yo, see? All right, Stanley. Mm -hmm. We see that shade, a little passive aggression over there. We're going to talk about this during the debriefing meeting. Passive aggressive poppy? (laughs) Am I a dark? Yes, you are. You are a passive aggressive poppy. I like that. But respectability politics sounded good, didn't it? <laughs> All right, guys. We're, we're back in the studio. I got to start ripping these people before they jump me. They'll probably win, too, because I ain't drinking no water this morning. We are here because we are very excited. Something very big happened this week in New York State legislature. So if you're like most of the people in this room, you probably didn't even know that New York State had a legislature because you have better things to do, like live your life, eat food, hang out with your friends, and sleep eight hours a day. But if you're like me and you don't have a life and you love politics, you probably spent the last six months traveling up to Albany, staying three to four times a day i mean a week doing mostly nothing besides drinking salsas because you're not drinking alcohol for the month of june and trying to get bills passed and after 10 years of republicans having control in the state senate democrats took power back in november and that means that a whole bunch of different policies that have been held in the gridlock could finally come through one of the biggest pieces of policies that we've been trying to get through not just the last 10 years, but the last 30 years, has been housing. So as you know, New York State has 89,000 people who are currently homeless. In New York City alone, 30% of those homeless people have full-time jobs. The cost of living has gotten so high in New York City that the median rent for a one-bedroom apartment as of two weeks ago, according to the Gothamist, is $2,700 a month on a market-rate apartment. One of the things that we have had in the past to help protect us and get our access to affordable housing has been rent-stabilized apartments. These rent-stabilized apartments are for units where you have six units or more for some of the big, taller buildings that were made in the 1970s and earlier, those pre-war buildings. And what those rent-stabilized buildings do is say that you can only raise rent by a certain percentage every single year and offers protections for tenants. And what you'll see if you live in New York City is a bunch of people living in these places where rent has stayed at a reasonable rate or if if you're lucky at a super cheap rate mm-hmm. because of those protections in 1994 white republican governor pataki passed a bill that allowed for stabilized buildings to fall out of stabilization once the rent hit 2500 dollars in 2010 that was raised to 2700 dollars and from then until now what you have seen is people buying up these rent stabilized buildings and doing little tricks to bump up the rent so they can get people out and get market rate apartments You've seen this happen in places where gentrification has been at the highest. So you've seen it in Brooklyn, particularly East Flatbush, Crown Heights, Bed-Stuy, Marcy. I call that the epicenter of the Barclays Center reaction. Barclays Center was Endgame and gentrification was Thanos for that part of Brooklyn. You've seen it all over Harlem at Columbia University, bought up about 150 blocks worth of Harlem streets all up on Broadway. And now we've seen all these apartments and restaurants change over the last couple of years. And now we're starting to see it in the Bronx. Now, what is the trick that these landlords use? It's a couple of tricks, but I'll just name two of them. The first one, my favorite, preferential rent. If you live in New York City, you have been in a situation where... The landlord, you were moving in somewhere, the landlord said, hey, I could charge you $1,500 for this one-bedroom apartment, but I'm going to charge you 1100 Every year, the New York State Rent Board can decide whether to raise rents or not. So when your lease is over, if the New York State Board decided you could raise rent by $100, that landlord can go from charging you 1100 to whatever they increase it to. Most people can't afford that kind of a jump in rent, and guess what? They have to leave. 
And that's one of the biggest things that happened. Selena, can you talk about how you've mm-hmm. seen that happen on the ground with your friends and family? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, and just to continue on where you left off about this new bill. Um, yeah, Stanley's right. So not only will the new law that passed, it will um, it bars landlords from jacking up preferential rents to the legal maximum for the life of the tenancy, meaning how long that tenant is actually there. It also, and I'm sure Stanley can explain, it also ends provisions that allow the landlord to increase rents up to 20% every time someone leaves a regulated apartment. That's called a vacancy bonus. So usually you can raise a rent by the state allotted amount, right? But say, once again, the the state amount allowed rent was 1500 You gave them 1100 And at the end of their lease, you want to raise their rent from 1100 to 1500 They can't afford it, so they had to leave. So now, you can raise your rent by 20% of 1500 So that's an even mm. higher jump. So it gets you out of stabilization faster. And they have been using that all across New York City and in parts of the state as well to get people out. But listen, guys, I'm an expert, but not like the person who's on the phone right now. Right now, we have the statewide housing organizer rebecca garrard from citizen action of new york my co-worker and friend and she's going to give us the scoop on what's happening in the housing fight rebecca how are you i am well how are you i have gotten eight hours of sleep have you slept yet uh no I'm, it's coming but not quite yet <laughs> all right good to hear so rebecca <laughs> um i've talked a little bit about some of the things landlords have been doing to raise rents on people but can you t- explain to people what this housing package does and what the impacts might be Yes, and I, I'm just hearing a bit from your last caller, it sounds like um, it's no surprise that the people of New York City are highly educated and activated around housing issues, which is exactly why we accomplished what we accomplished. Um, so I can highlight the things that affect regulated tenants and then the things that affect non-regulated tenants. Does that sound good? Yep. Okay. So some of this was already discussed. I think the biggest wins in this historic package was eliminating the vacancy bonus that you were just describing, um, making preferential rents permanent. It also, and I don't know if this was mentioned, but it um, removed the limits for regulated tenants based on the amount of the rent. So once the rent had reached a certain threshold, it was taken out of regulation, and that will no longer be true. So that was a huge victory. We had victories on two means of landlords raising rents in stabilized situations, regulated situations that were highly problematic and uh, ripe for corruption. One was IAI where um, individual apartment improvements could be tacked on to the rent. And so that has been capped at $15,000 maximum over 15 years, and no more than three IAIs can be completed within that period. And in terms of MCIs, major capital improvements, um, the amount that it can be, it can raise a rent is 2%, and um, that can be passed on over... 30 years. I think the really important thing on both of those is that they used to exist in perpetuity, so the amounts would compound, sort of leaving no limit on how high the rent could go, and now that is not the case. So in terms of rent-regulated apartments, um, those are our, our real wins. 
Thank you so much, Rebecca. Selena, you have a question or a comment? Yeah. Hey, Rebecca, this is Selena Hill here. And before I get to my question for you, I want to read a comment that we're getting that we just got from uh, our Facebook live feed. Emanuela says, as a provider, I'm grateful for rent stabilization from our program participants. And we don't have to go throughout the next year looking for uprooted people. It, it is challenging. So it looks like people are... Um, happy about the rent stabilization law that was passed on both sides. However, I was reading um, an analysis provided by the Wall Street Journal that says that the people who are going to benefit most from these these new rent regulations are actually white, affluent, and live in Manhattan. Um, can you talk more about why it is that people on the Upper East Side and West Side will probably benefit most from this? And how is it going to affect people, uh, affect those in black and brown communities? Uh, that's a, a great question, and I appreciate you asking it. So I think the Wall Street Journal is doing the bidding of real estate, which is something we really had to fight hard against throughout this campaign. Um, our campaign was made up of tenants from across the street, across the state, who are predominantly um, people in marginalized communities and communities of color, and so that's just a false narrative, is what I'm going to say. Most of the tenants that will benefit from these protections are people who are barely able to make their rent who are one rent increase away from homelessness, who are most certainly fall in the rent burdened category, which is over 30% of their income, or the severely rent burdened category, which is over 50% of their income towards household costs. And, and so truly these provisions predominantly benefit um, communities of color and communities in poverty. So... Uh, analysis is, is just one that's fed by the real estate industry to try to, um, to try to push back against the accomplishments. And yeah, yeah um, sorry about that, Rebecca. I just, I just want to jump in and say, like, that's just a lie. Only so in rent stabilized apartments in New York City, nine percent of the people living in rent stabilized apartments make seventy thousand dollars a year or more. Nine. That's what they're talking about. Everyone else is pretty much everything that Rebecca explained. Go ahead, Alex. No, I was going to say I'm one of the people that have benefited from a rent-stabilized apartment. I entered the housing lottery, like, right when I got out of Old Westbury, and, like, my income was, like, 21, 22. I was, you know, struggling. 21000 a year? Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And it, I, I got a rent-stabilized apartment. It was a huge help for me. And you're and still there. I'm still there. The thing about it is initially – with the amount it was, you know, me making what I was making. It, it's cheap now in hindsight, but at the time when you're not making much, it was still a bit, you know, for me. It was a little tough initially, but now it's definitely worked out. When those rent freezes happen, when, when those type of things happen that benefit, like, it really helped push me forward. Like, it, with the money I didn't spend in rent, I was able to put a lot of that toward my loans and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm one of the success stories with the with the. With the uh, rent stabilized apartments, it really benefited definitely. Rebecca, can you? And I'm glad that Alex brought up that brought up that point. Can you um, talk about how uh, I've, I was I was reading that I think one part of the law says that um, landlords can no longer raise rents based on somebody's income. So is that is that something that is a part like like Alex? He's no longer making twenty one thousand, but they, he's still living in a rent stabilized. Apartment. They they don't raise it. 
in in my building based on your income. Once you qualified initially under those pretenses, they only raise it between I think one and three percent every time the lease is up. Yeah. Which over the course I've been here about eight years, it hasn't gone up that much. When I hear people get a hundred dollar increase, I'm like, okay, I'm not. That, that's not what's happening on the side. But I can understand how beneficial it can be for a lot of people. I mean, the rents are going crazy in Manhattan, absolutely. Hold on one second. So, Rebecca, I want to give you a chance to give one more comment because I do want to move on to the other parts of the conversation, guys. We are definitely selfish because we're in New York City, so this directly impacts us. But all over the country, we're seeing housing issues. Uh, Rebecca, if you can just let us know, what do you think is the next step in that big housing fight for the state and the country? I will, and let me just very quickly answer that, though. So, the rent is set by the Rent Guidelines Board, so I think the provision they're talking about is that an apartment could be, or a residence could be taken out of regulation when a rent reached a certain amount. And so it was the landlord's assertion that that was wealthy people, but the limits were set so low um, when you look at the cost of living in New York City in general that it was it was deregulating apartments that were most certainly not solely um, occupied by, by wealthy residents. So I think that's what was being referred to. But what is the next fight? So this legislation offered the option to the entire state to opt in to rent stabilization if they fit the criteria, which is a vacancy rate of 5% or less, and it would apply, as it does in New York City, to buildings built before 1974 with six or more units. So that that is a huge win, and it will make a deep impact on other parts of New York State and protect tenants um, in all 62 counties as opposed to eight. So that's, that's huge. I think it is a national crisis. And so what we need across the country and certainly in New York State moving forward are protections against evictions that while we have some really good wins um, in this package, it does not go nearly far enough. And we really need every resident of the state, regardless of the size of the building they live in or the number of units um, within that residence, to have some sort of cap on rent increases. So whether that's a rent stabilization system, whether that's a protection to the tenant during the terms of their tenancy, the bottom line is housing costs are rising and far outpacing um, income, um, and and it's just creating a systemic problem across the country and in the state, which is why we have 92,000 homeless New Yorkers walking around on any given day. Rebecca, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for giving us this information. I'll talk to you soon. If you want to um, talk to Rebecca some more, you can find her at Citizen Action on New York's website, or you can email her at rgarrard at citizenactionny.org. We're going on a quick break, and when we come back, what's next in the housing fight? I turn a rich into a poor house Just by walking in, I'm broke now We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, The Voice of Harlem We are short on time, this is the Flash Zone So I'm going to ask some pretty quick questions And then we're going to go to the closing Because that's just how it is at the moment We're going to be evicted from the studio for the rest of the week Just kidding guys we just got to go home. So, Cory Booker, running for president, has a housing plan where families who are spending more than 30% of their income 
on housing would get a tax rebate at the end of every year. As you know, that it is suggested that you don't spend more than 30% of your annual income on housing. Most people across the country, and especially in New York, are spending far more than that. I think I'm spending about 45% of my income just on housing. I know other people who are spending more. What do you guys think about this bill? Do you think this would be helpful, Selena? Um, yeah, I think it would be helpful for those um, to get a rebate at the end of the year. I'm yeah. not sure how it would be funded. Uh, I'm interested to know some of the details of the bill, Alex. I think, um, yeah, anything that's going to benefit people who are struggling, like, I, I, I get it. Because, you know, I got a rent-stabilized apartment. When I first moved in, I had food stamps. Real rap. And what you don't even know about those, some people don't know about those programs, they automatically give you a discount on Con Ed when you have that as well. So anything that's like, all right, they see you're struggling, they putting things in place to put extra bread in your pocket, I'm all for it. The people who need it. At the same time, I do think we have to put a focus citywide on financial literacy. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of, of people, you know, living check to check, trying to figure it out, they don't teach finance in schools, even on a basic level. It's almost like they leave us to be you know, absent-minded consumers, ideally, to make people rich. But we have to have financial literacy in schools from the beginning, from elementary school level. When kids are aware of money, they're aware of the new sneakers, they're Mm -hmm. aware of these things, we have to teach them. Not to say that's going to change the problem as far as, you know, what housing costs, but the fact is a lot of people out there miss one paycheck, and it's like they have no idea what's next. And that's how they end up homeless. Yeah. But is that an issue of financial literacy, or is that an issue of wages having kept up with the cost of, the cost of inflation? Oh, oh I, I, would, I would not say that that's the answer. But what yeah. I'm saying is some financial literacy would definitely help people out in terms of where to put their money. Maybe even considering even a, a, a good sit-down budgeting monthly yeah. might even help people understand where it's affordable for them to live. Right. I think sometimes they look at the number of the paycheck but don't necessarily think where all that money has to get allocated. Mm. There's tons of people making, you know, decent six figures, but they look at their paycheck at the end of the year or their bank account at the end of the year. How much of it did you hang on to? Mm. You get what I'm saying? That's mm-hmm. a really good point. Mm-hmm. And for those families who are making less, it's just, it's still helpful. Um, when I was making 26000 a year with Nightberg, I had a 401k that I could borrow from. Mm. That helped out a lot. I mean, when I was even more broken, I had to pay it back. I was going to say, but, that's a no-go. But, you know, it was, it was, it was a situation I was in. Selena, mm-hmm. um, as someone who, like, has people in her life who are homeowners, what do you think about this rent fight? Um, I mean, well, I'll say this about the rent regulation laws specifically. I think that rent control is something that is needed. Um, I think Cory Booker's plan to, to give people rebates is something that is helpful. But I don't think that we're addressing the reasons why rents are raising, rising in the first place. I mean, the fact of the matter is... In Harlem in particular, in Manhattan, in New York City, you have an abundance of people who want to live here. Mm-hmm. And just it's, it's just like the market value. So you have landlords who are taking full advantage of that because this is a metropolitan city. You have mm-hmm. that. We have gentrification. Um, we also have, you know, minimum wage, which is something that Stanley uh, mentioned as well. We have people who are making the bare minimum, even though they work 40 hours a week and they just can't afford to live here. Um And I would say, you know, it it sucks that there are so many low-paying jobs, but high-paying rents. So Mm -hmm. you want Mm -hmm. people here working for bare minimum, but you don't want them to live here? You want them to... Where do you want them to live? Like... 
so far where it takes them two hours to commute. Then it's so, not even worth it. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, even if you even examine like capitalism and the way that it's working, it's because of these low wage workers mm -hmm. that these people can afford to live in a high rise. Mm -hmm. So it's just completely unfair. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that, Alex? Uh, I, I completely agree. It's almost like. I mean, Manhattan kind of being the epicenter of like kind of where the rent tends to be expensive. As you go outward, it tends to get a little less expensive as you head yes. deeper into the Bronx, further into Brooklyn, farther out into Queens. So it, it really says, hey, if you're not making money, money, you can't live close. Yes. You got to live all the way out there. But where's all the opportunity? A lot of the opportunities right here in the city and yeah. downtown Brooklyn in these in these areas. And. I understand it. I mean, New York is one of the top three most walkable cities in the world. So it's almost like the rent almost is high in part because a lot of people don't have to incur the cost of owning a vehicle. In New York, it's not like a lot of other places you visit where it's like a car is a mandate. In New York, a car is an option. What about I, San Francisco? San Francisco, you got to drive. But the rent is even, it's the highest, the most expensive city in the world, I think it is. They got that One bedroom is $3,000 a month. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but, but guys, we do have to start wrapping things up. I wish we didn't because this is a great conversation. I just want to give you guys both closing, like a chance to get some closing thoughts on this. What do you think is the next step for housing? We had a Miss Clark call and, and said that we shouldn't be going to Albany begging people for, for policy. We should be trying to find ways to own property. Mm. Alex, mm. do you agree? I, I completely agree. I, I was just saying during the break, it's my goal to become a landlord. I've, I've been on, uh, I, me and my family, I mean, my immediate family, we don't own any property at the moment, you know, and I feel like it's my almost duty to kind of change that for the next generation. Like, we've never done it. We've given out I did the rough math with my mom. It's like close to half a million dollars that we won't get interest on. That's wealth our family won't accrue. Home ownership is it's a savings. You know what I mean? A mortgage is different from any other debt because it's a savings. This is how you accrue wealth. Build some equity for yourself. Yeah. So I'm absolutely a fan of that. But that's not going to happen overnight. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, we actually do have to give people a level playing field where they can afford to live so they can save, so they can accrue some money to be able to put down a down payment and get themselves something. So we got to give the people that need help a helping hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. I just want to close out by, by saying, um, you know, the passing of the toughest rent protections in a generation further proves how much local elections matter because this law, the one we were talking about earlier in the segment, only passed because Democrats won control of the state Senate last year. Had Republicans still been in control, we would not even have this rent regulation law in place. It would have expired today. No, yesterday, actually. And we don't know what would have happened because Republicans were being lobbied by the real estate lobby. Um, and, and that's the reason why you know, that's the reason why rent has been skyrocketing is because real estate is lobbying and they're really the ones who are in control uh, because they're paying off our elected officials. So local elections matter. Pay attention. Go to the polls. And of course, 2020 is coming up. Yeah. So. Listen, guys, I always tell you on this show, I mean, if I haven't, I meant to, politics is a contact sport. And if you think that politics doesn't impact your life, it does. Because while you're sitting there and saying that I don't need to be involved in this process, your landlord is going, I want to get a bigger cut off these rents. And they are sending people to Albany to lobby for them. That's one of the biggest lessons I learned this year, being at the Capitol so much, at the state Capitol. Those lobbyists are there. They are cutting checks. They have influence. They don't want to see working people prosper. They want to fight. But at the same time, Ms. Clark and Alex are very right as well. You don't necessarily need to go buy a home in the suburbs. You know, you can go get an apartment somewhere, but we have to find a way to, A, 
get more ownership, and then B, be able to help pull our people up by providing equitable housing and equitable finances and wealth for ourselves. Because until there is a solution to this housing crisis, which we're going to have to be fighting for years, we have to be able to fight from inside on our own. My, one of my, my co-executive directors, she moved to Albany in the black neighborhood. The houses have, have been abandoned for so long, they had big X marks on them. She bought one house there, and then she's going to buy another. You know why? She told me she wanted to keep the neighborhood black. Those of us who have the power to do so should do so. Build black power through real estate when possible. And when it's not possible, then you know what? Just make sure you're working with others so that we can take care of ourselves and not be drowning in a housing crisis that has really been perpetuated by the real estate industry and the super rich. With that being said, guys, we got to go. I will see you next week. Um, and look out for Alex's podcast, Two Chicks, One Faithful Black King. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. And it just so happens. I got a lot of it. Spin around a bow. Why you do a split? By the end of the night, might earn you a scholarship.